Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that we have it before us this morning, and we thank you that you do give us your Holy Spirit to understand your word. Lord, we pray that your spirit may be working on our hearts this morning as we examine what Isaiah said about your son. Lord, we pray that we may grow in our love for Jesus Christ this morning as we feed upon your word together. And Lord, we pray that we may exalt him and exalt you, the one who sent him, so that we could have salvation. Lord, we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, do you ever give counsel, advice to other people? I'm sure everybody in this room would pretty much answer yes, because even children give advice to one another. They give counsel to each other. And we've seen this as our children have gotten older. And even in recent weeks, my daughter, Philippa, has realised that she is no longer going to be at preschool. She's going to be at big school next year. And as she came to this realisation, one afternoon she was standing in the kitchen and her brother was there, and she said, Now, Joshy, when I get to big school, what do I do? What do I do there? What is it you do at big school? Because she's concerned that she will do something wrong there, and so she needs some advice as to what is the right thing to do. And Joshua received this question, and he folded his arms, leaned back against the wall, and said, Well, Pippa. And he took on this tone of advice that he was giving to his little sister about what goes on at big school and how she can best prepare herself for that experience. Even children give advice to one another. And I'm sure as adults, we have gone through that process and we still continue to give advice. We give counsel to those around us. And that is what we're going to be looking at this morning. We're going to be looking at advice, counsel, from one person in particular. And that comes up for us in this passage that we started looking at last week from Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9, we saw, speaks about the Messiah, speaks about this one that would come, this son that would be born. And we see that in verse 6 of Isaiah 9. If you've got a black church Bible, it's page 683. I encourage you to have it open before you. Page 683, and we read in verse 6, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And last week we started to unpack that verse 6, and particularly the names that are given to this son. And we looked at mighty God. And what does it mean that this one will be a mighty God? This one will be a warrior God. And we looked at verse 4 and how that relates to this idea of the Messiah being this mighty God and how the mighty God has shattered the yoke that sits upon us, that he has shattered that yoke and that bar across our shoulders and the rod of the oppressor and how that brings us into light. Because before that, we are in darkness, as it says in verse 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And so we saw last week that we have this yoke of slavery to sin. We live in darkness and oppression. But Christ comes and shatters that yoke. That that is who this passage is speaking about, is Jesus Christ, who comes, mighty God himself, and shatters that yoke. But this morning, I want to focus on one of the other names there in verse 6 for Christ, what he will be called, and that is Wonderful Counselor. We've done Mighty God. Next week, Lord willing, we'll do Everlasting Father, and on Christmas Day, I'll look at Prince of Peace. 
But this morning, I want to focus in on that name that is given to him as Wonderful Counselor. And so that is my first main point this morning. The Messiah is a wonderful counselor. The Messiah is a wonderful counselor. This Messiah, the Christ, the person that is promised to come to the Israelites and save them from darkness and distress, is said to be a wonderful counselor. And this is something that we do indeed recognize that we need. We are all living in a type of darkness. Darkness can mean different things. Darkness can mean our suffering and pain. We talk about being in darkness when we suffer. But we can also talk about darkness when it comes to our thoughts, to our processes going on in our mind. We can feel very much in the dark about the things that are happening in our lives. We feel this gloominess, this foolishness that is there. When we're trying to think clearly, it feels like there's a fog, that we're in the darkness, and particularly about things that we don't know much about. And sometimes that can be little things, but it sometimes can be the big things in this world. The big questions, the philosophical questions that people don't like to ask because it makes them feel a bit weak and like they are in darkness. The meaning of life. Why am I here? Those kinds of questions. Can we understand the answers to those? Do we have answers to them? And so we need counsel. We need someone to speak to us and advise us how we are to live in this world and how we are to live in the next One of the questions we don't like is, how are we to live in this world? What is our purpose of being here? The next big question, of course, is, what is going to happen after this world? Is there life after death? And if there is life after death, how do I make sure that I'm safe in that life that comes after death? And so we need a counsellor. We need someone to advise us how to live in this world and how we can be safe in the next And Isaiah points us to this person who is a wonderful counsellor. This Messiah that would come is the wonderful counsellor. And what does it mean that he's wonderful counsellor? Well, that Hebrew word could literally be translated as miraculous. When it says wonder there, um, when it says wonderful, it's speaking about wonders, miracles. And we see that in the New Testament, people saying about Jesus Christ that he's got He can do wonders. He can do miracles. And that's what this counsellor will do. He will give great counsel and he will even, it seems, have these miracles that are associated with his counsel. And so this is who is described in Isaiah 9. And then we see in the New Testament that this person is Jesus Christ. Last week I showed you that this passage is quoted in the New Testament to refer to Jesus Christ, that uh, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of shadow of death, a light has dawned. And then in the New Testament we see that the text has spoken about him being a wonderful counsellor. We see that Jesus Christ is indeed a wonderful counsellor. His advice is indeed miraculous and he performs miracles in association with his counsel that he gives out. And then we've got two big examples for us uh, that I've chosen to look at this morning. And one is in Mark chapter 1. Look with me at Mark chapter 1. Turn with me there. It's page 990. As we look at whether Jesus is indeed the wonderful counsellor, the miraculous counsellor. Mark chapter 1. And I'll read from verse 21 through to verse 27. Mark chapter 1, page 990. 
Mark chapter 1, reading from verse 21, where it says that they, that's Jesus and his disciples, went to Capernaum, which is interestingly that area of Galilee that Isaiah is talking about that a light would come to. And when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. And news about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. Here we see Jesus teaching and people are responding with amazement. Partly because of the teaching, but also why else do they say that his teaching is so marvellous? Verse 27, it says, What is this? A new teaching and with authority he even gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. This counsellor is doing wonders, which demonstrates how great a counsellor he actually is. Even when he speaks to demons, they respond to him. When he gives commands, when he gives counsel to these demons, they respond. And so he is indeed a wonderful counsellor. But then we see another passage would be Matthew 22 that illustrates that Jesus is a wonderful counsellor as well. Matthew chapter 22, verse 15, which is found on page 979. Turn with me there, page 979 of the Black Church Bibles. Matthew chapter 22, and this passage has to be one of the uh, clear examples of how Jesus has indeed great counsel. He has great wisdom that far surpasses anyone else that was there at the time. Because we see that the religious leaders who think they are so wise come to show that their wisdom is greater than Jesus. And we see an amazing result that comes of their attempt. So we read in verse 15 of Matthew chapter 22. Then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. They're out to trap the counsellor. Verse 16 says, They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know you are a man of integrity and you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then. What is your opinion? Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, You hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius, and he asked them, Whose portrait is this, and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. When they heard this, They were amazed. So they left him and went away. Here they come to show that their counsel is greater than the counsel of Jesus Christ. And instead, they find that Jesus' counsel is superior. They come to him with this difficult question and they ask him something that would entrap him. If he says you should pay taxes, then of course he seems like Uh, someone who has swayed 
to the conquerors who've come in, the Roman conquerors, that he swayed to them. And so uh, he then would be on the bad side of all the Jews, that he is submitting to the rulers. But if he says, don't pay taxes, well, of course, the Roman rulers will not like that. And the religious leaders can hand him over to Rome as a rebel. And so he's caught between these two options. But he comes through and gives this counsel and says, look at a coin, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. Give to Caesar that which belongs to him. But remember, (laughs) give to God everything that belongs to him. And they can't object to this teaching that comes from him. And in the end, they are amazed and they leave him and go away. And then another example is given right after this to show that Jesus' counsel is indeed superior, that he is the wonderful counsellor. Verse 23, we continue. So that's one experience. Verse 23 has another one. That same day, the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses told us that if a man dies without having children, his brother must marry the widow and have children for him. Now, there were seven brothers among us. The first one married and died, and since he had no children, he left his wife to his brother. The same thing happened to the second and third brother, right down onto the seventh. Finally, the woman died. Now then, at the resurrection, whose wife will she be of the seven, since all of them were married to her? The Sadducees, who don't believe there is a resurrection, think that they can nail... Uh, uh, put an owl in the coffin of the resurrection, so to speak, in that they can say that there is no resurrection because this absurd thing would happen if there was a resurrection where this one woman would be married at the resurrection to seven brothers. So there can't be a resurrection then because this would be absurd. So they put this to Jesus, hoping to get him to deny the resurrection. And what does the wonderful counsellor say in reply? Verse 29. Jesus replied, you are in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. But about the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what God said to you? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. When the crowds heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. What is Christ's answer to these people who doubt the resurrection and have put forward this very difficult problem for Jesus to answer? Well, firstly, Jesus tells them something. Uh, He says that uh, at the resurrection, people will not be married. They'll be like the angels. So that sort of uh, puts that end to the discussion. But he also gives proof that there is a resurrection. And how does he do it? He uses a quote from the teaching, uh, from the, the book of the Bible that the Sadducees accept, which is Exodus, to show that people are alive who should be dead, that God refers to them as living. How does he do that? Look with me at verse 32. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God speaks to Moses at the burning bush, and he says, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. What has Jesus done? He's focused in on that verb, am. God doesn't say, I was the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He says, I am, which means Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are currently alive, and God is still their God, even though they've died back in Genesis. They're long dead. But God says, I am their God. 
meaning they are alive and they still worship him. And so he proves from one little word in the Old Testament that there is a resurrection. And what do the people respond with? Astonishment. You see that there in verse 33. When the crowd heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. What are they saying? He's a wonderful counsellor. He has counsel that is far beyond anything else we can get in this world. This man knows the Torah. He knows the law of God in such a way that he knows what one little verb can indicate about the resurrection. That that statement is actually pointing to the truth of the resurrection. And so they are astonished at the counsel of this Messiah who has come. So Jesus is a wonderful counsellor. But why is it important that he be a wonderful counsellor? Why couldn't he just be mighty God and simply be that? Why does Isaiah say he will be a wonderful counsellor? And then why do we see that Jesus is the wonderful counsellor in the New Testament? Well, that brings me to my second main point this morning. The Messiah is a forever reigning counsellor. The Messiah is a forever reigning counsellor. If you have a ruler, you want them to be wise. You want them to be able to give good counsel, good advice to the people that they are ruling over. And that's why when we have elections here in this country, which we're greatly blessed to be able to do, to help choose who rules us in this land, we really go after the wise politicians. If we see a politician, uh, a candidate for parliament, seems to be fairly foolish, then we don't want to vote for that person. We want someone who is wise who's running the country. We don't want a fool to run the country. At times we may think that some of the people who have been elected by others may be a fool, but we, generally speaking, want someone who is wise who is running the country. And Isaiah tells us that this Messiah will not simply be mighty God, he will be someone who is a wonderful counsellor, and that is important because the government will be on his shoulders. Look with me at Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9, flip back there if you aren't there uh, from before. It's page 683, page 683. And we read in verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The government will be on his shoulders, verse 6 says. And then verse 7 reiterates this idea. Verse 7 says, Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will have a great government that increases. And then it says in verse 7, He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. He will sit on David's throne and over David's kingdom, And he will uphold justice and righteousness, which means he needs to be wise. He needs to have great counsel if he's going to sit on David's throne. There's actually an indication in the Old Testament that the person who sits on David's throne should be wise. Who indicates that? Well, it's the second person to sit on David's throne. David sat there firstly, and then Solomon sat there. And what do we associate with Solomon? Wisdom. The Old Testament tells us 
in quite a number of different ways that Solomon was wise. He was truly very wise with wisdom given to him by God. And so that even foreign nations recognized his wisdom. And one person in particular recognizes his wisdom. Who is that? It's actually a woman. The Queen of Sheba came to test Solomon and see whether he was indeed someone who was wise sitting on David's throne. And we read that in 1 Kings chapter 10 verse 4. 1 Kings chapter 10 verse 4 says, When the Queen of Sheba saw all the wisdom of Solomon and the palace he had built, the food on his table, the seating of his officials, the attending servants in their robes, his cupbearers and the burnt offerings he made at the temple of the Lord, she was overwhelmed. She's seen his wisdom and is overwhelmed. She said to the king, The report I heard in my own country about your achievements and your wisdom is true. But I did not believe these things until I came and saw with my own eyes. Indeed, not even half was told me. In wisdom and wealth you have far exceeded the report I heard. How happy your people must be. How happy your officials who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Praise be to the Lord your God who has delighted in you and placed you on the throne of Israel. Because of the Lord's eternal love for Israel, he has made you king to maintain justice and righteousness. What is the Messiah supposed to do? He's meant to maintain justice and righteousness, it says there in Isaiah chapter 9. And here we see that Solomon is the one who is to maintain justice and righteousness on David's throne. And he has this great wisdom that is given to him. And so Solomon points to the need that the person who sits on David's throne must be a wonderful counsellor. He must be wise. And Jesus Christ then fulfills that type that is there in Solomon. There in the Old Testament, that the person who sits on the throne of David must be wise, must be a wonderful counsellor. So we see that Jesus is a wonderful counsellor. We see that he needs to be a wonderful counsellor because he is the one who reigns, who has government on his shoulders. Why else does he need to be a wonderful counsellor? Well, part of that uh, reign, part of the uh, description that is given of that reign of his is that it would be a f- reign that goes on forever. It's not like it's for a period of time. With Solomon, it was for a simple period of time. But with Jesus, he reigns forever. And that is given to us in this passage in Isaiah chapter 9. What does it say in verse 7? Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. His government will have no end. We don't think that about any of our prime ministers. We've recognised that each prime minister has an end to his term. There will be no end for this reigning politician, this this king. He reigns forever. And we see that's also indicated to us in the in further on in verse seven it says as well, it says he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. Jesus needs to be a very wise counsellor. If he is to reign and reign forever, we recognise this in the process that we go through with our politicians, that if someone is getting along in years, it's actually been said of some politicians, they think they're too old for the job, that they can't actually be wise enough for the period of time that they would be in office. And so people don't vote for them. 
I remember hearing this about uh, one of the presidential candidates in the United States, in the United States, that they associated him with being old. What does that indicate? They think he won't be wise enough for the period of time that he would be in office. So if we're to have someone who is going to sit on the throne forever, then what does he need to be? He needs to be a wonderful counsellor. He needs to have great wisdom. And this is what Jesus is. He is the one who sits on God's throne forever. He is the one who is the wonderful counsellor who sits there forever. And we see that given to us in that passage that we had read for us earlier from Luke chapter 1, verse 26, and following that as the angel Gabriel comes to Mary, that he says to Mary that she would have this son who would be called Jesus, and he will be great and be called the Son of the Most High. And then it says, the angel said to Mary, the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will sit on David's throne, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Jesus Christ is the one who comes and sits on David's throne forever. And we see that fulfilled in the vision that is given to John in Revelation chapter 5, that Jesus fulfills this vision. John says there, as he is having this revelation, he says, Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain. And who is the lamb in the New Testament? It's always Jesus Christ. Standing at the centre of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. Who's on the throne? The lamb. Why is he there? Well, one of the big reasons is because he is the wonderful counsellor. He is the only one who has wisdom enough to sit on that throne, uphold justice and righteousness forever. Who else would you vote, would you elect to that throne forever? It can only be Jesus Christ. The one who we see in the New Testament has profound wisdom. No one can entrap him. And as you may have examined the scriptures, have you ever been able to find a flaw in Jesus Christ and his counsel? Have you ever been able to find a mistake in his words? No. I've been searching for decades now. I still haven't found anything in Jesus' words that makes me think he is not a wonderful counsellor. So what does that mean for us? If he's the one who is reigning on David's throne and will reign forever, then we should listen to his counsel. We should listen to him. Where do we usually go for counsel? Self-help books? What does that imply? You're meant to help yourself out of your problems? How does that work out for you? How's that been going for you if you're trying to help yourself out of your problems? Go to family, friends? Yeah, they can give good advice at times. They can give very bad advice at times as well. Have you ever fallen into deep trouble because you've listened to the advice of family and friends? You've gone along with your friends and what they say is the best thing to do? What about man-made religions? So often people think that they have great counsel, but as you examine them, you start to see that they are indeed man-made. I'm going to be speaking about one on Tuesday night. If you want to come along and see the foolishness of some of the religions that are out there, come Tuesday night and hear about this cult known as Mormonism. There's lots of people trying to give you advice in this world, but there's only one 
who is the wonderful counsellor, and that is Jesus Christ. So we should listen to his counsel. And what does he tell you to do? Well, firstly, you see, when he starts his ministry, what does he tell people to do? He tells them to repent, to turn from sin, and believe the good news, to believe in the one who has sent him, to believe in God the Father, believe in the Son, to trust that the Son has died for you. If you have not listened to Jesus before, then listen to him as he calls you to turn from your sin and trust in him. Because if you do that, then the life that you live now will be revolutionized. You will have meaning in your life now and you will also have life in the next as Jesus Christ continues his reign forever in heaven. If you're not a believer, listen to the counsel of the wonderful counsellor. Turn from your sin. Trust that he has died in your place. And if you are a Christian and you've listened to the counsel of the Lord in the past, don't stop now. Some people seem to think that, you know, you come to Jesus to get saved and then the rest of your life you live out and you, you can take care of yourself from there on. No, you need the counsel of the Lord Jesus regularly speaking into your life. You need to listen to his counsel. And where do you find his counsel? In the Bible. This is his word. He counsels you through his word. You don't need to sit there and listen for a voice in your head. That can be quite dangerous. Listen to the counsel that we know is from Christ, from the wonderful counselor. That's why I always encourage when I meet with members of this church, I ask them a couple of questions, see how they're doing, and I ask them how their Bible reading is going. Why? Because I know that they need the wonderful counsellor speaking into their lives. There is no other counsellor that can speak the way Christ does. If we want to live a life that is holy here for the Lord, then we need to listen to him. We need to take advantage of the wonderful counsellor. And if we do that, Why would you listen to the wonderful counsellor? Well, it brings great joy. I can testify to that. As I've grown as a Christian, as I've grown in my understanding of the Bible, you can rejoice in a peace that comes of knowing that you're safe in this world, that you know what is the meaning of this life, and you know that you'll be safe in the next world. And so you can be as the people are described in verse 3. Remember verse 3 speaks, after speaking about the darkness that has come upon the land, it says there in verse 3, and I looked at it last week, it says, You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. The light that comes to us is not just the shattering of that yoke of sin, it's an enlightening of the mind. And as your mind is enlightened, joy comes with it. And you can rejoice as one who has just got the harvest in. You can rejoice as one who has plundered. You can have great joy if you listen to the counsellor. So are you listening to the wonderful counsellor? Do you recognise that there is no counsellor like Jesus Christ, one who reigns forever on David's throne? Listen to the counsellor. Listen to him because he's not just the counsellor. He's the wonderful counsellor. And worth listening to. Let's come before our God in prayer. Let us speak with him. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this part of your word that speaks about your son, Jesus Christ, and describes him so clearly for us. Lord, we pray that we would recognize that he is the wonderful counselor. As we examine 
his life in the pages of the New Testament and see his remarkable wisdom. Lord, we pray that we would recognize that there's no one like him. And so, Lord, we pray that we would listen to his counsel, recognizing that he is the wonderful counselor who sits on David's throne forever. Lord, we pray that we would listen to his counsel to repent of our sins, listen to his counsel to trust in his death for our sins. And Lord, may we listen to his counsel as we seek to live our lives for your glory. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.